We're going to be in Matthew 6. So if you do not have a Bible, raise your hands. We'll have some guys carrying those around, and they will pass them out to you. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep that as a gift from the Lord. All right, so um, before I got sick last week, we were going through this chapter. We were talking about prayer uh, leading up to our week of prayer and fasting. And I think uh, I was joking, kind of telling you guys about like me starting out the year with, I mean, I wasn't joking. I was really being serious, but joking about how miserable I was because of the keto diet thing I was trying to do. And uh, just to confirm, I'm still pretty miserable. Um, it, <laughs> it's not something, honestly, that I'm, I'm like, you know, trying this hardcore like diet to, to lose a bunch of weight or anything like that. It's more or less just doing it to try to um, get rid of some of the things I've noticed as I get older do not make me feel good, like sugar, like trying to like wane off that. And so, so far it's been really successful. Um, but having said that, I, I bought this um, 20, it was called a 24 day challenge, like supple, a, a thing of supplements. You get like meal replacement shakes and this energy vitamin drink and some different vitamins to, to assist me in making that transition so that, you know, basically it's supposed to make it easier or whatnot. And, um, and it has in, in, in a lot of respects. It's, it's made kind of transitioning to uh, some things out of my diet easier and wanting to experience the results that I was looking for, okay? And so just like that 24-day challenge kit was used to assist me in uh, dieting or, or changing my eating habits, uh, fasting, very much what we see biblically in the Bible, is used by God's people to assist them in prayer. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 6 and saw what Jesus had to say about prayer. And this week, we're going to continue in that same section of Scripture, and we're going to see him address fasting. Fasting being an activity that pretty much all throughout God's Word, you see tied to prayer. So it's appropriate that Jesus kind of addresses both these things together here in Matthew 6. And fasting, like prayer, being something else that I think probably most of us would say that we could implement to an even greater degree in our lives. Maybe some of you have never even tried fasting before. And what I've found within God's church is that's either one of two reasons. Maybe there's a misunderstanding or not really understanding what fasting is, what the purpose behind it is, because basically you've just never been taught that. Um, in, in church, it's not something that does get talked about as often as it probably should. Um, or maybe a misconception, thinking that it's something that only like priests did or like certain people back in biblical times or maybe something reserved for super holy people, even though there's not such a thing as super holy people. We're all just as holy as we can be because of the blood of Jesus. But we, I've seen those misconceptions and those misunderstandings. And so over probably the last 10 or so years now, We've tried to be purposeful about wanting to offer opportunities and encourage church, the church, our church family, to participate in fasting and prayer because we see it throughout God's word. In, in during those opportunities, we also have the chance to teach about these things to make sure that we all understand what they are and why we do them. And so um, if you guys have been going here for any length of time, you know every year we have an annual week of prayer and fasting where we teach on these things leading up to it. And then we have a week set aside where you guys are encouraged to fast from something as God leads you and to intentionally seek the Lord in prayer more so than you would normally do during your week. 
And then last year, we started a, a monthly time that we call it a seek night. It's the first Thursday of the month where people are encouraged to fast and then come together uh, at the end of the day. And we have a, a prayer worship type meeting and we break that fast with a meal together. All right. So those those things have offered opportunities to kind of reiterate, reiterate this and teach it on a yearly, even monthly basis so that we can, like Jesus' disciples, learn to pray prayer being such a necessity in our lives. And really, I think the longer you follow Jesus, the more you should be realizing that, that I am more helpless and I need Jesus to an even greater degree. And prayer is the way we kind of access or we acknowledge that need. And the whole point of fasting is we're going to further look at today is to assist us in seeking the Lord in prayer, to help us to pray. And that is why you See them mentioned together all the way out through or throughout God's word. So today we're going to, like I said, look at what Jesus has to say about it in Matthew 6. We're going to look at some other biblical examples to make sure that we fully understand what it is, what the purpose of it is. So let's go ahead and jump in. It says in Matthew 6, verse 16, this is picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago. And when you fast, this is Jesus speaking, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word and Lord, I, I know that personally I'm, I'm blessed as you teach me to pray. And I'm blessed each year that we set aside this time because I feel like there's a, a, almost a, a deeper intimacy that you teach me that comes through seeking you in prayer and fasting than, than I had before. And that propels me, if you will, into the next year, relying on you to an even greater degree in my life. And I've yet to hear a plateau and I just have a feeling I'm, I'm not going to in this life that I just am constantly realizing my need for you. And, and I know I've heard that from so many of my brothers and sisters. So as we go into this week, we're excited to learn to pray. We're excited to say no to our flesh with that desire to be with you which is, in a nutshell, our, our whole life on this earth, learning to die to ourself or, or die to what our flesh wants or what we think is best and look to you and surrender to you so we can be led into your perfect, good, and pleasing will, Lord. That's what we all want. And so teach us to an even greater degree as we study these things in this, this tool, if you will, that we see in your word to help us pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three main questions I'm going to answer out, this, out of this text about fasting along with using some other biblical examples to kind of back them up. So if you're a note taker, go ahead and write these down. Number one, what is fasting? Number two, why are we supposed to fast? And number three, when are we supposed to fast? Okay, number one, what is fasting? Number two, why are we supposed to fast? And number three, when are we supposed to fast? So let's look uh, first at what exactly fasting is. Now, the Greek word in this section of scripture 
for fast literally means to abstain from food, okay, or to refrain from eating food. And in the Bible, the majority of the fast we see to some degree or another, not all of them, but to some degree or another, by and far most of them involve refraining from food or drink for a set period of time. We actually see four different types of fasts mentioned in God's word. The first being what some refer to as a full fast, which involves eating or drinking or no eating and no drinking any, no eating any food at all, no drinking anything at all. All right. Um, one example is in Acts 9.9, Saul, who becomes Paul when he basically is miraculously met by Jesus on that road to Damascus and he's knocked off his horse and he's blind. It says he fasts in Acts 9.9 for three days, um, basically where he doesn't eat any food or have any water. Okay, And then also in Esther, Esther chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 specifically, if you guys are familiar with that, um, Mordecai, her cousin, comes to her because he catches wind of this plan by this evil guy named Haman to, uh, who has deceived the king into giving this order that all the Jewish people are to be killed. And so Esther, who's the queen of the king, who happens to be Jewish, so has a relationship with the king. Uh, Mordecai basically says, you need to go talk to him on behalf of the people but the problem is you're not allowed to go talk to the king as the queen unless the king first summons you. And if you do that, you break that law, you run the risk of being killed if the Lord doesn't, if the king doesn't show favor to you. So she asks, she says, okay, I'm going to do this, but you guys need to fast on my behalf. Have no food, have no water for three days. All right. Uh, another example, Deuteronomy 9.9, a pretty miraculous or remarkable example. Moses when he goes up into Mount Sinai to meet with God and receive the tablets of the law or the covenant that God made with his people, it says he went out with he went without bread and water for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? So those are all examples of full fasts that we see in the Bible. Another type of fast we see is what some refer to as a partial fast, which involves um, abstaining from specific or certain types of food or maybe something other than food altogether. Uh, you see an example with Daniel uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did I say those in the right order? My wife gives me grief every time because she says I say them in the wrong order. But I'm pretty sure they're in the right order. Sarah, you're at, she's at home with my one of my sick kids. So that's for you. So basically Daniel and his compadres are uh, they're they're in babylon and they've been placed into a significant place in in uh nebuchadnezzar's court if you will they're kind of his officials and they're supposed to partake in these uh, meals that he gives them and there's certain foods that basically under their law would uh be considered uh sinful like they defile themselves if they ate them so they want to avoid the temptation of eating these things and they ask to fast um, for 10 days where they only eat vegetables and, and water. And, and basically to show that they're not going to look any un, unhealthier than anyone else if they don't partake in this food that's being provided to them that they don't want to defile themselves with. So there's a partial fast there in that they just eat veggies and water. You also see in Daniel 10, verses 2 and 3, Daniel gets this vision from God about some upcoming conflict with his people it really troubles him. And so 
he decides to fast from eating delicacies or, you know, good food like Doritos or anything filled with lots of gluten. Um, probably not, but yeah, good food. Uh, he doesn't eat any meat. He doesn't drink wine. He doesn't use anointing oils or lotions for refreshment, basically like Axe body spray and, and deodorant. Anything that they would use to make themselves refreshed, he, he's not using those. So, and this was for three weeks, so he was probably pretty rank at the end of those. But this was he, he was he was basically abstaining from this stuff because he was looking for the Lord to give him some sort of comfort in this vision or help him understand this vision. All right, so those are examples of partial fasts. Then there's what we or some refer to as a regular fast, which basically means. Um, they're not eating any food, but they are drinking water or liquids. And that would appear to be what Jesus does when he's in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Because it says in Matthew 4, 2, that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And in Luke 4, 2, it says he ate nothing during those days. And it goes on to say in Matthew and Luke that the devil tempts him with what? Turning stones into bread. So... You would think it would say something about him being thirsty or the devil tempting him with water. We don't know for sure, but it would appear that that's the type of fast that is going on there. And then last, we see a fast from uh, sexual relations within a, a marriage discussed under 1 Corinthians 7, 5 for an agreed amount of time for the purpose of devotion to prayer. Now, that's not specifically called a fast, but it follows that same principle that we see all through scripture of somebody being told to abstain from something for the purpose of prayer for a set period of time. Now, even though the majority of the fasts we see involve food or water to some degree, the fact that we see that they involve other things would indicate to us that what it is that you're fasting for isn't the main point or the most important thing to God about it, but rather it's the heart or the sincerity, the reason why you are fasting that God cares about. And with that, let's go ahead and answer that second question. Why are we supposed to fast? So in this passage in Matthew 6, verses 16 and 17, Jesus gives us some examples of what fasting with the right motives and what with the wrong motives or the right motives and the wrong motives looks like. First, he says in verse 16, what the wrong motives would look like in somebody. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So these hypocrites he's referring to are identified as those that would be fasting for the motive to be seen by others. In essence, they're walking around and they're looking all haggard or all hangry. Just, oh, look at me. I'm so holy because I'm, I'm, I'm suffering for the Lord. You know, and he's saying... If that's your reason, if your reason is to be seen by others, you know, if, if it's, it's because of your, your horizontal relationships, not your vertical relationships, that's the complete wrong reason. And you'll get your reward. You'll get whatever recognition you get from people if you call that a reward. But that's all you're going to get from it, all right? And then he goes on to point out what fasting with the right motives looks like in verses 17 or 18. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who's in secret or in essence fasting is just between you and god all right like he was talking about in the previous verses if you were here a couple weeks ago you can listen online if you weren't but about prayer the whole purpose of prayer 
is not to treat God like a genie. It's not to like somehow, you know, like show him that you're worthy of his good graces or uh, you're worthy of him giving you an ear because because of the blood of Jesus, you already know you're worthy. You already know that God loves you as much as you could ever be loved. You already know that he wants to show his grace to you, his favor in your life, right? It says there in John, like through Jesus, we've received grace upon grace. You already know he wants to answer your prayer in the best way he knows how, okay? So we know these things. So we're not trying to earn his favor. We're not trying to earn his ear. We have all that. In essence, when we, when we pray, what we're acknowledging is that, Lord, I don't know what to do. Or, Lord, even if I knew what to do, I can't handle this as well as you can. Lord, I, I just want your will. I want your involvement. I want you to lead me. I, I want you to empower me to carry out that will. It's, it's, it's saying, just acknowledging your desperate need for God. And so with fasting, it's the same thing. You're basically acknowledging that what my flesh wants, what I'm looking to satisfy myself, what I think is best, that doesn't matter. It doesn't near, I mean, not that discredit it, but it doesn't matter as much as what you want, God. That's what matters most. And so I'm willing to say no to this and set this aside for, for the, For the purpose of looking to you so you can lead me in what you want for me. Okay? That's the purpose of prayer and fasting. And that's what you see consistently throughout scripture. Is the reasons for the different types of fasts that I previously mentioned. And honestly, if it's for a different reason. If you're fasting with that wrong motive. If you're fasting with kind of this mentality of like, I'm going to do this because... Then God will see that I'm really serious and, and like I'll earn that good answer. Then it's probably going to be a real miserable experience for you because it's the wrong heart. It's the wrong motive. If you're like I said, if you're the you have no reason to doubt that God loves you as demonstrated by him allowing his son to die for you. You have no reason to doubt that he already wants, he's there and he's ready for you to talk to him and he already wants to answer in the best way possible. Might not be the way you want, but as we established last time, we don't even know what's best for us. Oh, God knows way better and he's way more capable. And so when we go to him with that right motive, we can absolutely be confident he is gonna answer in his perfect timing in the most perfect way possible. And when we fast, we're saying, that's what we want. That's what we want. I am willing to remove any distraction in my life because I want what you want for me. And that is a great place to be with the Lord. Amen. And if you're not amening, it's just because you haven't learned that yet, which is normal. It's it's a part of following God to learn this and, and then even reminding ourselves. That's why this is something we do often because we have to remind ourselves of this and we have to continually learn it. All right. But you see in God's word, people abstaining from something, whether food, liquids, skin treatments, with the purpose of seeking the Lord in prayer for his guidance and intervention for his will to be made known in their life and then to be carried out in their life. And it's often in a direct response to something happening in their life that they realize we need God's help with this. We need his direction. We need him to intervene. You see Ezra call for a fast in Ezra 8.21 as the people seek the Lord for protection and safety during their journey back to Jerusalem 
from Babylon. Basically, they've been freed. They get to go back to their land. Their land is in shambles. Uh, uh, other people groups have moved into it that could be dangerous. They realize that they're helpless. And so Ezra's like, we need to fast and we need to pray and we need to seek God for protection. All right? They, they realize there's this need. They aren't capable of meeting it. God is. So we're going to fast and we're going to pray. And we're going to seek God for this. All right? Daniel 10. I already mentioned this, but I mentioned it again. He gets this vision. It brings discomfort. He doesn't understand what is this bad thing you're showing me that's going to happen. Why is this going to happen? So he's, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to look for the Lord to comfort me. I'm going to look for the Lord to give me understanding in this thing I can't wrap my my mind around. You see in Esther with uh, the example of Mordecai in Esther 4. Basically, she's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And there is the potential for it to go way wrong. But what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to fast. And we're going to seek God to divinely intervene on my behalf. And give me favor in the king's eyes. All right. And then in um, uh, with Jesus, when he led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit in Matthew four, he, we see the devil tempt him. Right. When he's there during that 40 days and 40 nights and he's led to fast. If Jesus fasted, we should be fasting, too. He's led to fast. It doesn't say he's praying, but most assuredly he's praying, too. So he's fasting and praying And the devil tries to tempt him. And how does he respond? With the word of God. Here the devil is trying to tempt him into sin. And because he's fasting and praying. Because he's seeking God. The father and God's will for him. He responds. And combats those lies of the enemy. Revealing those deceptions for what they are. With the truth of God's word. Now another reason to fast. Is because it is training you and me. To resist our flesh. And isn't that what following Jesus is all about? I would argue that is your whole Christian life on this earth. Is God trying to teach us how to live in that abundant life where our flesh has been defeated and we're no longer a slave to it, right? That, in a nutshell. I mean, there's more depth to it, but that, that's in a nutshell. And what I would say is your flesh is your biggest hindrance to following the Lord and obeying his word, it certainly is your biggest hindrance to prayer. Where do you think it comes from, that's that, that thing in your head that says, oh, I'm too busy to just pray? Or, well, you know what, I could pray, but I know how to handle this. Or, you know, I could pray, but I don't have time to pray. I, I mean, I need to handle this right now. I need to go in this direction. I need to make this thing happen. That's your flesh. That's your flesh talking or the enemy speaking to your flesh and trying to get you to believe these deceptions. So your flesh is your biggest enemy to following after God, to seeking God. So in essence, when we're fasting, we're again, we're saying that, no, 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 time out, flesh. Time out. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to wait upon him. I want to know his will. I'm looking to him to help me instead of trying to help myself. That's what you're saying. You're training yourself to look to the Lord instead of yourself. Instead of your flesh. You're relying on the Lord instead of relying on your flesh. And that's what Jesus says in several places in the New Testament. That's what it means to follow him, right? You have to die to yourself. You have to pick up your cross. Basically to follow Jesus. Well, let me read you an example. In John 
12, 20 through 26. This is New Living Translation. It says, Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to we meet Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. And Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And this is how Jesus replied. He says, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. He's speaking of his death when he talks about his glory, his death on the cross. He says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Him speaking of his death and what it would accomplish. Like basically his death would lead to life in all of us and anyone else that believed. Okay? But he's saying, like, I, I have to die for that to happen. And then he goes on to say, those who love their life in this world or those who aren't willing to die to themselves, you'll lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world and will keep, will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. So in essence, what he's saying is just like I have to do this thing that is not something that I would choose to do for myself. I mean, the cross was not any of you guys that know what happened leading up to the cross and in, in, in his death on it. It was not a desirable thing anyone would want to go through, but he did it for the joy set before him. He knew it, the outcome of it would be salvation for you and me. So that was why he was willing to do it. And so he's saying, if you want to follow me, you must be where I am. You must be willing to say no to your flesh, say no to what you want. Do things that in your own understanding aren't going to be things you want to do, but knowing that God has much better things for you. That's what it's going to look like to follow him. So fasting is in a sense training yourself to follow Jesus by learning to say no to your will with the hope of knowing and living in his, which is always going to be better. Amen? Part of the reason you see so many fasts in the Bible involve involve food was because it took so much time to prepare food back then, okay? You didn't have refrigerators. You didn't have grocery stores. You didn't have glorious pizza delivery guys. And you, you didn't have anything that made eating quickly. Basically, if you wanted meat, you had to go out and kill it and dress it. You hunters know how long that takes you wanted vegetables, you had to go get them out of the garden or go to the, like the market to buy them. It wasn't a quick process. You had to make bread from scratch. So all that took time and you could basically replace that time with prayer or use that time to pray instead of preparing all that food. So practically, it was an easy thing to replace that you could use that time effectively to pray more, okay? Now, knowing that, for us in our culture that we live in today... I think it is valuable to fast from food if the Lord leads you to. But having said that, there's a whole lot of things that take a lot more of our time that we can say, well, maybe this would be, a, if, if my goal is to be more effective in my prayer, if my goal is to pray more, maybe I should just get rid of TV for a week if you're on TV a lot. Maybe I should get rid of social media or the internet for a week. Because I can pray whenever I would normally be on that. Maybe I can get rid of video games for young people. If you're on video games for an hour a day, you got an hour to pray. 
So those are good things to consider when you're fasting. Again, this is it's the heart behind it that God cares. And if your heart is correct in that, I just want to seek the Lord and what he wants in my life. I have this problem. I need him to guide me through it. I need to be healed of this infirmity. I, I need... I need direction. I, I just want to be with Jesus. I want to experience that intimacy that I see all throughout his word. Whatever it is, prayer is the mechanism he's given us to get there. And fasting will allow you to pray to an even greater degree. Now, over the last couple of years when I fast, just to give you some examples, two of the things I get rid of is I've gotten rid of social media. Because that's just a practical thing that, okay, well, I can not do any updates for the church or whatever and use that time to pray. And actually, the, the benefit of that is every year I seem to realize that, man, I'm spending, I spend a lot of time on these things, more than I recognize. And it seems like there's one social media platform that I get rid of every year just because it's, I realize that I, I experience a lot more benefit in praying instead of being on this thing. All right. I'm not saying that to condemn or convict you. That's something that the Lord will tell you if, if that's an issue. But having said that, it's been a benefit to me, actually, for the Lord to show me in giving something up temporarily that, you know, this is better. Jesus is better. I just want to be with him more. So I'm not going back to that thing. And then the other thing I fasted from is food, because every time my flesh craves food, which is quite often in my life, I'm reminded to pray. When I get those hunger pains, usually I have liquid. And in like what I, I have this little like cleansing concoction with lemon juice and maple syrup and cayenne pepper. It sounds really gross, but really it's actually pretty glorious. And when I just feel like I can't go any longer because I still got to function as a dad and a husband or whatnot, I have like a cup of that and it actually just does the trick to like clear my mind and let me keep functioning. I think this year my wife's got a, a thing of uh, bone broth cooking because I heard that's really good too. Just so like, if you get hungry, you need something warm or whatever, there's something to have with some electrolytes or whatnot. So there's lots of different things you could use. All that says, maybe you, I know some people that just go with water. They just go plain and straight with water and that might work too. But having said that, I go without the food and here's what Jesus has taught me like every year because there's probably some of you sitting there right now going, there's no way I can go a week without eating Food. And rest assured, I said that, I've said that every year. Even now, there's kind of this just, even though the last couple of years I've successfully been able to do it with the Lord by the Lord's grace, there's still that like, oh my gosh, how am I going to go a week without eating? But what I find is what Jesus tells us in John 6, 35, play out in my life where he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty He's got this crowd of people that he just fed like 5,000 miraculously and they're following him. And they're wanting him to do miracles. And he's like, you guys, you can keep wanting temporal things, but they're never going to satisfy you the way you want. Really what you need more than that, you have a greater need than your physical needs that you think that you need. And that, that's a spiritual satisfaction. That can only come through me. And what I've seen is I, I go to one prayer meeting and I start to get weary, but I make it to the next one and, and the Lord meets me. Doesn't always just like, it's not like I hear this like clear audible voice all the time or, or like he, he just answers a prayer miraculously. Sometimes that's happened, but it's just he meets me. It's, it's, it's like if your heart is right and you're fasting with that intent to be with the Lord, he will be there. 
When you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And it reminds me, this is why I'm doing this. If you don't pray and you just fast and you're just fasting, it's going to be super hard because there's no point in it. I mean, I know there's health benefits. You know, you can read about that, but that's not why we're fasting. We're fasting to be with the Lord. And if that's what you're doing, every time you're with him, you'll remind that this is where I want to be. This is where my true satisfaction is. Actually, what I've found, and maybe you guys agree with me, in my 22 years in being a Christian, I get discontent a lot. And it's easy for me to build, blame that discontentment on so many things that I see right in front of me, not going the way I want. I can blame discontentment on my job. I can blame discontentment on my wife or my kids. I can blame discontentment on just people, ministry, whatever it is. But what I find is that those things are never the reason. They're just the easy way out. The reason is there's something a matter in my relationship with God because I'm looking to these things to satisfy me in a way that only Jesus can. And that's what he's taught me over and over again through praying and fasting and seeking him to be everything I need. And it's been so beneficial because it lasts more than just a week. When you learn those little bit of lessons, you grow in your intimacy with him just a little bit more. You understand your need for him to just a little bit of a greater degree. It just keeps growing. You just keep pressing in. You keep drawing near to him. And there's no such thing as being too close to him, right? We need to be close to him to an even greater degree to the moment that we go to be with him. Amen? And that's what fasting has done for me. So fasting from those items basically ultimately have assisted me in being more prayerful, more effectively seeking the Lord in my life. So let's answer the last question. When are we supposed to fast? Okay, well, we see people fasting God's word when they're faced with physical ailments. They have health issues. We see people fast and pray when they're seeking divine intervention or favor in what appears to be a no-win or hopeless situation for them, something they can, can't handle themselves. We see people fast and pray for the purpose of abstaining from sin. We see people uh, fast and pray while seeking the Lord for comfort and understanding amid something really hard that they're facing. We see people fast and pray when they're looking to the Lord to meet a practical need in their life. We see people fast and pray when they're seeking the Lord to help them with a huge battle or trial that they have in front of them. We see people fast and pray for the simple purpose of wanting to seek or spend time with the Lord with no agenda whatsoever. And in some way or another, every single one of those things applies to every single one of us every day of our lives. So doesn't it stand to reason that we should be approaching those things the same way God's people approaches them in the God's word through fasting and praying at some point, right? Actually, when Jesus says in verses verse 16 or verses 16 and 17 in Matthew 6, but when you fast, that's what he's getting at. This isn't like an if you fast or a once in a while, but when you fast, like this should be a normal part of your life, of your prayer life. That you're fasting and you're praying and you're drawing near to me. You're seeking my help. You're seeking my comfort. You're seeking my will in your life. This is a normal part of following Jesus. 
And verse 18 tells us, just like it, he did with prayer, that there is a guaranteed reward if you, fast and if you fast with the right motives. Which, as I said with prayer, is all the reason you need to sh- want to do this. If God says there is a guaranteed reward if you seek me in fasting and prayer with the right heart, with the right motives, I will reward you for it. You don't even need to know what that reward is. You should want to do it. But here's, here's the other thing. This theme God's given me this year, given us as a church of peace. And as I talked about a couple weeks ago, that, that mechanism that God's given us, according to Philippians 4, of accessing that peace is through prayer. So if prayer leads to peace in our lives, and we all want peace in our lives, and fasting assists us in praying or making our prayers more effective, then it would make sense if that's the way we achieve peace that we should all be wanting to do it often in our lives because every single one of us wants to be at peace all the time. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to end by just reading a great example of God's people that are in the midst of a huge trial in their lives that leaves them afraid at first but they make a good decision in seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting. And ultimately, it brings them from a place of fear to a place of rest and peace. So I'm in Second Chronicles 20. You could turn there if you want. I'm just going to read through this and kind of share some observations. Second Chronicles 20, starting in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Minuites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, that is in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So there's this huge army. No way that God's army can beat them. And, and they get word that they're coming against them. And rightfully so, his first response is like, oh no, what are we going to do? He's afraid, okay? Now here's his response. Verse 3, it says, and Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Jehoshaphat responded with just the awesomest military idea campaign on how they were going to defeat him. No, he didn't do that. He responded by running in the complete opposite direction. No, he didn't do that. He prayed. He prayed. That is what I'm constantly trying to train myself to do. I know I should do it, but my flesh doesn't want to do that. But that is the best reaction to any adversity we face in life. We pray. And he, he adds fasting to it. He, I mean, he's serious. He's like, man, Lord, I'm going to the Lord. I not want to run. I don't want to be afraid. I recognize this is the wrong way to react. I, I want to pray and I'm seeking the Lord. And he fasts. Now, he doesn't just do it alone. He, he corporately gathers everyone to do the same thing, the same thing we're doing this week and having prayer meetings together. He says, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. 
I love it. The first thing he does in his prayer is to remind himself of just who his God is. That's a great thing to do in prayer. Because we need to remember. Yeah, it's a big army coming, but guess what? God's in control. And he's much bigger than they are. And then he goes on to say, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So he starts to remember God's promises. These are things God told him these, they, they would, he, he would do for them. I'll protect you. I'll come through. If this ever happens, here's what you do. You need to come to me and I'll be faithful. And he had been faithful. And so he's reminding himself in his praying of God's promises and his past faithfulness. And he goes on to say in verse 10, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us, uh, given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? So he makes his petition. Basically, prays specifically for what he's looking to God for help. And then he says in verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If there was a mission statement for prayer in the Bible, that's it right there. We are humble enough to understand, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is a great place to be. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. I love that. They stood, so they waited. Because see, my tendency can be to pray and then, all right, you didn't answer in the five seconds I wanted, so I'm going to go figure it out. No, they stood. They waited for God to answer. And guess what? They involved their family. My wife and I were talking about this last week, how when we intentionally involve our kids in prayer, like we, we're, we're praying and, and, and we're like, Lord, if you could just do something and just show our kids how real you are. It's like God likes to show off. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I like to answer those prayers. And like I, my encouragement to you is when you pray this week, involve your kids. The earlier they learn to rely on God, the better off they're going to be. If they're not old enough to like, like sit through a whole prayer meeting at church and pray for him at home. Don't set some real unrealistic expectation. Pray for five minutes. That is not five minutes wasted. And give God a chance to show them how real he is. I remember a prayer meeting in here when the boys were older with my wife praying for their cousin to get saved who did not know the Lord. Teenage girl. They get a call the next day from Sarah's dad saying, oh yeah, she came over and she asked how to know Jesus. And they got to see that. That's what we want all our kids to see. So they involve their kids and their wives and their children. They seek the Lord as a family. They wait on him. And it says in verse 14, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeiel, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, so this is God speaking through him, 
Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow we go out against them and the Lord will be with you. I love that. Standing firm is the hardest thing in the face of adversity. But because the Lord is with you, when you pray, that's what God reminds you. I'm with you. You don't have to fight this battle. I've already given you victory. Just stand firm and watch that victory play out in your life. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face on the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites... Uh, of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. I love that. They praise him before they even see him come through. That's a great place to be where you're so confident in God. You have such faith that you can praise him even before you see him keep your promise in your life. He'll keep it either way. But that is a much better place to be than being afraid. And prayer and fasting got him to that place. And they rose early in the morning, or they're eager to actually listen to what God has to say, and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, or believe his word, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. He sings, he, he sends the worship team to the front of the battle. I don't know about you, but our worship leaders aren't that tip. Well, maybe Stephen, he's kind of thuggish, but the rest of them, that's who he sends. And he sends them and they're singing and they're focusing on God's love. And I, I would say that that was probably more for their benefit. Because in the face of hard things, it is hard to keep your mind on God and his promises and what he's told you. But he's like, let's just go. Let's go worship. That's what worship does. It brings you back to that place of re- remembering who God is and his promises to you and his faithfulness. And, it, and, and, and focusing on his love because, man... He loves you so much. There ain't no way. Everything he's gone through to save you, there ain't no way he's going to let anything happen to you. And so they're worshiping as they go into this battle. And it says, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed for the men of Ammon. Um, and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Sire, they all helped to destroy one another. So as they're worshiping, they don't even know this is going on. They don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so often that's what's happening in our life. As we're praying, as we're worshiping God, we don't even know. He's working behind the scenes. And they're fighting themselves. I mean, as crazy as that is, they're fighting themselves. So that when they get there, it says when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. 
They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Isn't that awesome? I mean, what the enemy meant for evil, this was not a good thing, this army coming against them. But what the enemy meant for evil, God not only delivered him from it, but he blessed them in it. He used the very thing the enemy was using to try to destroy them for their good. And that's the promise you have in Jesus Christ. The very things the enemy tries to use to kill, steal, and destroy from you, God says, oh no, not my kids. I will use those things for your good. And it goes on to say, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their, at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest or peace all around. Started out with being afraid. Sought the Lord in prayer and fasting. Saw victory. Ended in rest and peace. As the worship team comes up here for just one last song, guys. Here's the thing, man. Daily, so many things in our life feel like battles. We have a choice how to fight them. You can fight them in your flesh. Try to figure things out on your own. Try to run. Try to just worry yourself to death. Be afraid. Or you can fight the battles the way God wants you to. And that's just to stand firm and let him fight them for you. And the way we do that is through prayer. And fasting helps us pray. And we have an opportunity this week, starting tonight at 7 o'clock, to learn, to let Jesus teach us how to be people of prayer. To pray, to let him fight our battles, not try to fight him ourselves. And I don't know what that looks like for you guys individually for your week. I don't know what that means. You got to seek the Holy Spirit and you got to let him lead you and to, yeah, I want, I want to give up this thing because I want to be in that place of reliance on the Lord. I want to learn to pray first and foremost, just like Jehoshaphat. I want to learn to look to the Lord to fight my battles, not try to fight them myself. But I want to learn and I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fast from this so that I pray instead every chance I get. I'm going to set aside and try to come to every prayer meeting I can. Or I'm going to have a prayer meeting at home with my kids Whatever, with my family, whatever that looks like, none of it's wrong, none of it's bad. If that's your heart, I want to be taught to pray, God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek you intentionally this week. And maybe there's specific things. Maybe you guys are going through battles right now of some sort. You're sick, or you got something hard going on in your life. Somebody's hurt you and you need comfort. Whatever it might be, none of that. God cares about every single bit of it. None of it's too small for him to care about. And none of it's too big for him to handle. And I can guarantee right now, instead of keeping that to yourself and trying to figure it out or or fight that on your own, it is way better to give it to your God. It's way better to cast that care to him knowing he cares for you. And if you let him teach you, you'll learn this in such a way that it will become a first response over time. Just like we see there with Jehoshaphat. 
And you'll live in the peace that surpasses all understanding that won't be on your circumstances, but it'll be grounded in the God that has every single circumstance in your life under complete control. Amen. So we're just going to respond right now, however the Lord leads you. Maybe even now you just want to ask the Lord, what does this mean for me, Lord? What am I supposed to fast from? How am I supposed to pray this week? Maybe you... Or like I said, you already have that thing. I'm, I'm going to commit this to you, Lord. I'm going to fast and pray about this thing all week. If you want to come up and get prayer, we'll help. Start right now. We have people here. But I encourage you to, as many of those prayer meetings, you can come with your brothers and sisters. We're going to do them all at the Annex in Warrington. But my, my hope in prayer is that we fill that place so much because there's so much participation from you guys that we have to move it out here in the evenings. That's my prayer. Because I just know how powerful prayer is. And I know that even a few people showing up makes a huge difference. I've seen it. So if we're all partaking, God's going to move in a pretty miraculous way in this county. And in your lives personally. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God. Oh, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have you to rely on, that we can come boldly before your throne, as your word says. We don't have to wonder if we're good enough, because we're not. But Jesus is, and Jesus has made it such for us that we're robed in his righteousness. That's what you see, so we can come boldly to you. We don't have to, like, pray our way to you or earn it in some way. We don't have to fast our way to you. We, we already have access to you. We do these things because of the access we have to you because we'd be foolish to try to rely on ourselves, Lord, and we're sorry when we do that. You're so much better at handling things in my life. And every time I, I commit and I stand and I wait upon you, I see that over and over again. And I just want it to an ever-increasing degree learn to rely on you. Render my will. I don't. It doesn't have to work out the way I want. I want what you want. I've seen time and time again that what you have for me is so much better. I want to learn to an even greater degree to pray, Lord. And I pray that for all my brothers and sisters that this week would be a week where you do that work in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.